there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. So, I mean, when people say Saudi and women driving, I think they just think, oh, they just started driving. And then here you are driving everything everywhere (laughs) and being first Um, at everything. It's sort of, it's really, really cool. So first of all, let's just go back to what it was like when you were growing up. Um, And if this was an idea in your mind then, or what, what was going on then? Uh, well, I have been driving for a while, and uh, to be honest, I I love it. I'll drive anything, anywhere. That's for sure. Um, when I was growing up, I didn't have an idea that I would be doing this. Um, let's say, sort of as a as a profession, because um, yeah, I just honestly didn't think about it as a potential career path at all. I just thought that okay, it's the weekend, you know, let's go play with some quad bikes. I actually really enjoy this. Let's have fun, and and that was it. It was very simple. When I lived, I was in, uh, I'm from Jeddah and uh, I studied here until I was 14. And then I went to the UK for GCSE, A-level and then university. So during that time, I got my driving license. So I was driving on the public road um, abroad. So uh, I think that that's a big reason why also I was, um, you know, started racing maybe sooner than, than other ladies here because I had the exposure to, uh, to the public road from an earlier age. So when I was about 30 years old, I moved to Dubai for, uh, for work. And that's when I started racing. I went to the Dubai Autodrome, the racetrack there. And th- there I was on super bikes. So two wheels and um, just really enjoying it. There's, they have something called the Ducati Cup as part of the National Sports Bike Super Series. And uh, I love that bike just as a... Um, as a style of riding and things like that. So I joined the Ducati cup. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I also joined the uh, cup in Bahrain, the national cup there, which was the super stock 600. And I was on a Kawasaki in that cup. And I also had a really good time. Um, after that, I moved to rally, which is off-road, which is what you see me doing today. And that was mainly because I am from Saudi Arabia. I moved back to Saudi Arabia in 20. Uh, 19, the end of 2019, and Saudi hosts some of the uh, biggest events in the world when it comes to rally raids. So the biggest race is Dakar Rally. That's the longest race in the world for cross country. And that's actually hosted here in Saudi Arabia. So I would say that that's the main reason why I uh, started uh, driving off-road. But when I moved to off-road, I let go of two wheels and I jumped into a four-wheel vehicle. So I'm in uh, what they call a side-by-side car or an SSV. And they are these uh, dune buggies or off-road buggies, which technically our group is called the lightweight prototype T3. So different teams can work on their cars and customize them and use different parts from different manufacturers and make their own uh, prototypes. So it's a really fun uh, category because you get to see so much variety. Um, 
so that that's it that's how i started and how i ended up uh, in this situation and you also you had an accident on your motorcycle right can you tell uh, us? i did it yeah it wasn't actually a bad accident it was uh, on the racetrack and i didn't need any surgeries or anything like that so you know when you come off a motorcycle in a racetrack and you just need a couple of months to kind of heal your bones and just have a natural recovery i mean i personally consider that a lucky situation i don't think of it as a big crash i think that i was lucky and um it just it just happened you know i leaned the bike uh too far on a corner so i didn't have the power to pick it back up after the corner which meant that i just slid onto the track uh but i suppose the impact had uh, you know hurt my 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 pelvis area but i was fine because i didn't need surgery which was which was good. So two months of natural recovery. And um, by then I was back in Saudi Arabia. And it was also at the time when the um, border closures had started because of the pandemic. So all over the world, people were not traveling. And that also kind of pushed me to look into the kingdom, what's available for me to raise in Saudi. So a lot of these, you know, circumstantial uh, things kind of led me to cross country and off-road and you know racing in the desert as opposed to being on the track and definitely the accident uh, was one of those things but not in a dramatic sense it was much more about okay I crashed my bike I ended up back home and you know back home we race off-road so um, not to say that they won't have track racing I think they might and I think they will but uh, at the time that that was the situation. And when you're racing, are you racing against other women? Are there other women in the field? Are you, you know, you're the first to be doing, to do, winning these things, but what are, is there a field of other women? Yeah, there's women, uh, there's women in the field for sure. Actually, it's, uh, it's a really nice community. And what's nice about motorsport is that you have men and women racing together. You know, it's an engine sport. It's not uh, physical. I mean, it is physical, but you're competing with an engine. You're not competing with just your body. Right. So that's why you you compete together, men and women. So it's not uh, segregated. And I think that that's really um, a nice environment. You know, it's um, I see women from all over the world participating. Uh, definitely that they're, they're a minority. You know, there's much more men than there are women. Um, but it's fun. It's becoming more common. I think, you know, I see more ladies uh, getting out there. Um, one of the ladies that I got to know through the rally community actually decided to do uh, the race is in a big truck, which is called the T5 group. And she told me that she wants to do it with a female navigator and a female mechanic, because when, with the big trucks, you're actually three people in the car, not two. So with us, with our cars, you're two people, you're the driver and the navigator with trucks. You have a third person with you who's a mechanic. So there's one lady who's now going for a, for a lady's truck. Um, cool. so that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell me about the car that you drive. Like wh- how does it get built where do you get it what's what do you like about it it's uh, so i work with a team called south racing and they are based in um, germany and portugal and they build they have canam cars which is a canadian manufacturer and then they build them to racing specs based on their own research and development um so i i enjoy that car very much and i've been consistent with south racing for about uh, a full season and now we're into our second uh, my first season I did um, by rent with renting a local car here in Saudi. And then when I went to the European races, I rented a car from a French team there. 
But uh, near the end of the year, I decided that I will start racing with South Racing so that they build the cars. Um, they're a successful team. They've been winning consistently uh, in the field. So I'm glad to be with them. And do you do this full-time or do you work and do this part-time? Like, how does it work? Mm, since I started, when I was racing bikes, I did it part-time. And when I started, I moved into cross-country. I picked it up as full-time because between, you know, working with the sponsors and uh, finding the funding and then uh, going to the events and the logistics and things like that, you could definitely do this with a full-time job as well, uh, 100%. But I wanted to focus on it personally is there money in this like could you could you make serious money uh I, I think that depends you know some people do it for leisure some people um drive for the manufacturers um so it's really different for everybody in this space i don't think that there's a universal thing going on but uh i think some people make money some just do it as a hobby so it depends um what do what does your family think and your friends and um, so I think everybody has their own view could be different. Um, for me, I just seem to be, you know, getting support and everybody's nice and yeah, I, everybody's different really. I think when you were, it sounds like when you were young, you were like, a you know, we, when I was growing up, we called a tomboy, you know, like you were riding those quad bikes and everything. Were you, were you a bit of a tomboy? Mm, I'm not sure. Honestly, like, I don't know. I just mean like, you know, some girls are like playing with dolls and doing stuff like that. Were you doing, were you doing both things? Like, did you like, did yeah, you I liked, uh, no, I like to play with Barbies with my sister. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't find this very, this either or, you know, yeah. I think that yeah. it's really nice to play with dolls and go shopping with your mom. And that's really nice. Go do your nails. I think, you know, that that's fun, right? You go to a spa or whatever. And then I like to drive. So I don't really see it as, okay, you either have this totally um, rigid definition of what it is to uh, have a girly or boyish activity. I think that you can have a nice manicure and get on a bike. I think it's okay. (laughs) It is okay. It is okay. I I feel like in this part of the world, it might still be a little bit more segregated, you know, like it's sort of like pink or whatever, but I'd like to see it. I like to see both <laughs> have a manicure. You are a manicured driver. So tell me about these races. What are the, what are the, cha- like, what are the challenges? What's the, what's the stuff that's super hard that we wouldn't think about? Um, I don't know if it's a woman thing, but uh, you know, with races like this, it's an endurance race. So you have to have a good um, organization of your, let's say emotions, right? So maybe you, the most important thing is actually just to stay in the moment and stay present on the kilometer at hand. Because if you start thinking about the end of the race, first of all, you you won't enjoy the race as much because you'll be less present. Um, and also you'll be less effective in terms of performance because when you are in the moment, you perform much better because you are totally engaged, right? And you are contributing every part of your energy towards uh, the outcome. When you think about the outcome, you effectively make the outcome worse (laughs) because you take your focus away. Um, I think it's very important to stay focused. And that's something that you can build. You know, focus is not something that is just uh, constant all your life. You know, if we see it, if let's say you go through a phase where you stop reading to come back to reading, it's going to be difficult to focus on 
you know, the page, you may, you may have to reread it. But if you're consistently reading, just as an example, you'll find that it's actually much easier to get through a whole chapter without stopping. So focus is a very big part of the game. Um, I think patience is equally important in the game as well because it's such a long race. Um, you have to be patient not only in terms of reaching the finish because, you know, you want to enjoy it anyway. Sometimes you just, sometimes when you finish, you think, oh, oh I'd like to drive a bit more. But um, patience is important in terms of being patient with yourself. So if you make a driving mistake, you need to have the patience to let it go, accept it, and then continue driving. Because if you carry that mistake with you for longer, you're going to make your time worse, right? Um, you have to be patient sometimes with crossing the terrain. So in cross country, you can face a lot of uh, rocky areas or tricky areas to navigate. And sometimes it's actually much more effective just to take it a bit slower. And that way you move, you move uh, smoother through the area than somebody who might just be in a rush to finish because they feel uncomfortable that this is now very tricky. So patience and focus are huge uh, assets. I would say that they would be the top of things that come to mind. It sounds like there's real parallels for life, you know, from your experience behind the wheel. Do you feel like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, the things that you pick up in racing, you can implement across a lot of different parts of your life. It, it's more about your character. I mean, when I talk to the people who are at the front, they have, they have a specific quality, character quality. You know, they this one person that uh, is a total champion wins uh, very consistently and frequently. He just, when I speak to him, I feel like he's very present. I also feel like he has all the time in the world to have this conversation, whatever it is that we're talking about. And that's, that's a feeling that you get that's calm, that's, you know, steady and solid. I think you need that in the car and then it's reflected outside of the car. He won't sit and talk to me forever, of course. He has a lot to do. But when he when we end the chat, it's very much at the point where we're done, you know, and it's not done with urgency. I don't feel that he spent five minutes thinking he needs to leave. No. As soon as he's done or we're done, it's finished. And it's very clear, you know, he's very clear about where he needs to be and why he's there. I, and I and I respect that a lot. I think that that's very reflective of how you race do you need to work out like does physical fitness help you in this and if so how so yeah i mean um a big part of this is processing a lot of information at a very uh, high rate and making decisions with that information so when you are physically fit you have more mental clarity so you need less um you have a lot more oxygen in your body and your re respiratory rate is at a certain number. So you can see things with more clarity. You can process things more easily. I think when your cardiovascular uh, system isn't so, let's say, I don't know, in shape or whatever you want to call it, um, it makes the information that's jumping at you a lot more muddled. You can't process it as well because you are not getting enough oxygen into your body, into your brain. So the the picture is more distorted and there's just a bit of chaos. When you're in good shape, you have good cardiovascular system, then you can see things more clearly and actually everything seems a bit slower. So you have more time to make decisions. That makes you a faster driver. So I always tell myself that if things seem slower, it's usually because you're going faster. If things seem like it's chaos and everything is so fast and rushing by, 
chances are you're not going very fast. It's you're going too fast for what your brain can process. And that's never a good feeling. So I, if I feel like there's chaos and I can't process what's happening, you've got to slow down. It's not safe to drive when you feel like you are fast. <laughs> you will feel fast, but you have to have this calm. Um, you have to be aware of your speed. I'm not sure how to articulate it, but the information that's coming at you when you're in high speeds shouldn't feel as fast as you might be going. Okay. And how about the relationship with your navigator? Because you have a French navigator, I believe. That must be a tricky relationship. Yeah, actually, my navigator, the French one, he had actually pa- he passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, he was in a, yeah, I know it's, it's okay. I mean, it's his time. He raced, uh, he was in a race and there was just a bit of an accident there, but, um, it is a very important relationship. You know, he taught me a lot about trust and about having a good time. You know, he was such a good navigator and a good mechanic and a good teammate because a, he knew how to get from A to B. So he knew, you know, how to navigate, which is obviously a given. But more than that, what I liked about him so much, he was the first person I co-drove with and he had a very good way of uh, seeing things in the right priority. So basically, if we had a lot of media or PR to do, he would say, you know, Daniel, let's just don't worry about it. Just focus on the race. Don't think about it too much. You do the media. When you do the media, you have the interviews. When you have the interviews, don't worry about it. When you drive, you just drive. So he had that ability to kind of just come back into the car you know and then if it felt like if I felt like I had a lot of pressure if I was scared because it was my first race or second race or whatever he would remind me again you know just have a good time just take it easy and then a big thing he used to always say was that just take it slow he always said you know when you take it slow you go fast and he was right you know so don't rush just take it slow and I mean, slow is is a weird word to use in racing. But what he means by slow is that you don't feel too fast. So the the more experienced you are, slow will be faster, right? But for your brain, it feels slow because you can see all this information and you can... So he always reminded me, take it easy and have a good time. Just enjoy. You know, that was his biggest emphasis, which is just to enjoy. That's really important. When you have fun, you do well. And maybe it's a cliche. Maybe people say all the time that you have to enjoy the journey, but it's true. When you have a good time, you tend to do well. And our last race, actually, we did extremely well. And then the second day, our car broke down. Um, and it was tough to take because if you know we were on the way to lead the World Cup at that stage, and that would have been really great because it's early in the season. It would have been nice to have that kind of level of comfort. But uh, it is what it is. It happened. The car broke down. And uh, it's part of the game. It happens. And he just said, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't understand what happened. But it was fun. I just said, yeah, it was fun. You know, we had a good time. And then it actually was still fun because when we fixed the car, we had to make it to the finish line within the maximum time because you have a maximum time. So our race became not against any other competitor. It was actually just us against maximum time. So we were still racing. Um so we still enjoyed it, funnily enough, even though, you know, we could have had a, you know, we were, we were on track to have a different result. Um, but the level of trust I had in him was so big that 
and so subconscious that even when he started giving me directions, I wouldn't even think about what he's saying. It was like my body would just do what he said, you know? So he would tell me, because we, we decide the direction. We have a compass heading. So if we're going at 150 and he says to me, okay, Dania, in 300 meters, we're going to shift to 210. Without even thinking, my brain would just start, you know, turning the steering wheel to the right to go towards 210 because I trusted him so much that I would just do everything that he said as a navigator. So it's almost like you were one system. Um, and that's a really good feeling to have. I, I didn't, yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew what I, I knew what we had when we had it. So it's nice to understand when you have such a good uh, working relationship. I have a co-driver now named Tay Perry. She's very sweet. We did the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge together in February. Um, because Laurent, the French co-driver, is usually busy half of the year. So I need somebody to race with for the other half. And I tested with Tay in Abu Dhabi. And I really enjoyed working with her. So we'll race together. Uh, from now on, you know, um, for the full thing. But it is a very important dynamic. Yes. So you have someone, so you don't have to start from scratch. That's that, that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got a bunch of messages when he passed. People, you know, trying to help me out and say, hey, there's this person, that person. Maybe you, you feel a bit uh, discombobulated. You feel a bit. But, you know, I tell myself, I mean, he has a family. You know, I can't. I can't imagine the family where working, working partners and it's an important relationship to have, but yeah, I feel a lot for his family. I hope that, uh, hope that they manage. And I suppose that danger, the possibility of that danger is a part of the attraction, but also do you think about it? Like, do you ever feel fear? Um, I'm not attracted to danger. I think people tend to associate driving with adrenaline junkies I don't see that I'm interested in adrenaline rush. People tell me I am. I, between me and myself, I don't look for it. Um, I feel very stimulated when I drive, you know, and that's what I like. It's not the danger. It's more just that I'm so consumed, you know. Uh, so much of me is focused and engaged. I don't feel that when I do a lot of things. I feel that when I drive. So I'm not too attracted to danger. It's more the, just the feeling of being so consumed. Um, you can drive in a safe way. You, you don't have to drive dangerously. And I usually drive in a safe way. I don't feel moments where, oh, w what's going to happen now? I don't know. If I feel some, if I have that feeling, it's usually because I made a driving mistake and I'm now vulnerable to the terrain and that shouldn't happen actually if i if i feel that way it's because i messed up so i consciously stay within the parameters that i'm comfortable in and they those parameters change because the more experience you have the faster you can go so you don't need to take risk you don't need to drive dangerously if you feel like you're in danger it shouldn't be because you wanted to be there it should be just because you need to sharpen your skills or maybe you've gone over the limit and you need to bring yourself back so danger is definitely not something that i i'm drawn to it's more just a byproduct of your lack of skill at a certain point in time and then then you need to work on it and you need to make sure you stay within your limits and grow safely which is possible 
And what are your dreams? Like, what's your wildest dreams in this? What are your goals and dreams? Um, I'm not uh, thinking too far ahead. It's uh, we're st- still just taking it as it comes. I have two more Dakars to do uh, so far, and uh, two more Saudi championships, and one more Baja World Cup, excluding this year. So, so we'll see. We'll see. It's a, it's a good schedule for now. Juvene driving pet thieves and other people. No, I know. No, I don't. Okay. And what, I guess there's a lot of, I know from living in this part of the world, I'm in Abu Dhabi, there's a lot of misconceptions about what it's like for women in the West. And so I'm just wondering if you, if there's any misconceptions about what it's like for women in Saudi that you wanted, like you, you hear, or you like to dispel. Does it make sense? No, uh, I, it makes sense. I think that um, different people have different experiences. You know, different Saudis have different lives depending on their culture, their family culture, their choices. So there's no correct way of being a Saudi. You know, we're all from here and we're different and we live how we want to live. I personally want to drive. It's my choice. I want to raise my sister who's from the same household, chooses not to do that. So I think you'll find variety in any country. And if there's a more prominent image of that country, then, I mean, maybe there's a reason for it. So what I do is I live my life, how I live my life. And then when people meet me, they maybe have a more evolved version of Saudi. Not to say that the other image isn't there, but that there's more to it. There's more uh, variety. There's different ways of being. And yeah, it doesn't mean that this cancels out the other. Right, just different families live different, diff- live differently. I think that that's just the reality of things. If I meet a person from Italy, I don't think that everybody in Italy is a replica of that person. So, yeah, I mean, it's normal for us as people to kind of have an idea of a nation after we've met one person. I think that that's normal because that person kind of has a sample representation of the whole thing, the population. But I try to remind myself that probably you'll find a lot of variety. Um, yeah, so so I think that uh, you'll find you'll find a lot of different things going on here. <laughs> yes. I have yet to be. I'm supposed to come in the fall. I'm really excited. Um, are women, how, when it came to driving, like, is it, or did every woman that you know drive? Is it like half the women? Are you able to talk about that? I'm just curious. Uh, not every woman I know drove, but a lot of them did. Yes. Yeah. It was. Um, it was a really freeing thing. It was such a good feeling, and we all got so excited. You know, I mean, I had access to a car before, and somebody would take me from A to B. But it's different when you don't have to have that. Um, you know, so- someone involved and maybe you feel bad about doing three trips maybe you'll just do one trip and you know you, you kind of ad- ad- adapt to the other person because it's that's how it is i mean you're not just gonna get in the car every time you have a thought but today you can i mean as long as you can pay for your petrol then you can get in the car whenever you want um so it's a good feeling a lot of uh, ladies that drive but um not all of them some of them weren't interested i mean some people just don't want to drive i mean it's fine you know there's other ways of getting around but it was it was an impactful change do you still do you, is it become normal now or do you ever just catch yourself driving and think god this feels good <laughs> still 
I I love to drive. Every time I get in the car and I drive, I know that I love it. It's weird. I mean, I it doesn't get old because you only have the moment. So yeah, I always I I don't if you're present, you'll always feel very clearly what you do. You know, and I and I always feel that way. Today I was in the car and I was away for a couple of weeks and, and I was thinking, oh, I miss this. I miss the car. <laughs> I had a good time. Um, but I usually feel that way about whatever I'm doing. I don't, um, yeah, if you're in the moment, then you'll always feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I, there's, that's one of my favorite feelings is driving down the highway. I, I absolutely love it. And everyone was cheering for you guys when you got that, when you got that opportunity. And so it's so cool to see. Okay. Any parting words, anything I haven't asked you, I'm sure there's lots I haven't asked you, but just anything about the sport that you'd like me to know or about you? Um, just honestly, thank you so much for your time. This was really nice. And, and just thanks for having me. It's really exciting. I'm going to be following your career. <laughs> thanks. Even though I don't know anything about that. Now I kind of think I want to drive a dune buggy type car. If you're how, an how w, it's started? not hard. How, did, how do you get started? I don't, if Abu Dhabi, um, I would just look at local places. No, but like just give, in general, if a woman's interested in what you're doing, what would you say the best way to get started is? Um, probably to get in touch with the Federation for Motorsport because they usually have um, programs or access to the sport. And that's, how, that's what I did. I got in touch with the Motorsport Federation. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you. It. Thanks so much. Take care. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.